Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Ecosystem Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Adrian Fedini, and he's the founder of Transformation, which it's a business education business for tradies. So we're talking everything from plumbers, electricians, roofers, concreters, pretty much anything in the building industry because Adrian knows it inside and out. And his building experience comes from his own business that he built up and sold, a plumbing business. Um, and he knows the challenges that business owners go through can be extremely challenging. At one point, Adrian found himself in that tough position where he needed to sell the family home to repay some of the debts. But he turned it all around created a highly profitable, successful business, went on to sell it, and then really developed a passion for helping other business owners navigate through that tough road of, of building a solid business. He's based in Sydney. We share some clients. He's a lover of systems and System Hub. So it's a great pleasure that I get to introduce Adrian to the summit. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. But, uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this session because you gave me a little bit of a, a sneak peek and we're going to go through the seven-step system for delivering a world-class experience from profitable sale all the way through to delivery. And there's obviously lots for us to cover. So I'll let you drive and we can walk through step by step. But just to start, I always like to get people to share, I suppose, the, the challenges and the problems that this particular system aims to solve for the business owner. And then we can go through the step by step. Yeah, sure. So look, this system works for anyone from a one-man band up to like one of our biggest clients has 50 trucks in Sydney, 60 in Melbourne and, and so on. There's freedom in uh, being able to have a repeatable process, as you know. And what tends to happen, let's let's take the scenario of a one-man band. First of all, they start out, they're, they're doing everything, they're entering the phone, they're worrying about bills. All of a sudden, they have to turn up to a customer's house and they have to deliver their service. So... If they have a repeatable system or process to follow, then it becomes very easy for them to repeat success. When you put all those other distractions and you turn up to the customer's door and you go, bang, I'm back into my seven steps mode. It actually takes a lot of pressure off you and it takes a lot of pressure also too from the larger business side too. It makes it repeatable across the entire team. So it's not just one person doing their thing and another person doing their thing really key to get customers to want to come back. They're really looking for a great outcome and consistency. And that's how you get a customer to bond to you because they know what they're getting with you. And that gets that repeat business. It gets referrals. It's got a, a real flow on effect. So I think, yeah, every business needs it. And the, the seven steps you're going to go through, even though you work with tradespeople, I know the more I've looked at it, because I was taking a little bit of a peek before we got started, it really applies to almost like just about any business where someone is going out, doing work on location, or even just yeah. professional type business. 100%. It's funny. We've, we've actually had people come into the course. We, and we don't target or market to them whatsoever, but it was in a networking group. And we had a computer repair guy that would turn up to people's houses, the old school, before they had remote logins. And they would um, follow the exact same seven steps. You know, you need to, to make a good first impression. You need to go gather information about the problem and so on. And it's um, completely, yeah, transferable across a lot of different businesses. 
Yeah, well, let's, let's dive in. You kind of gave the, the first little hint of that first step. So let's walk through each one. Sure. Well, even before we get into the first step, I, I firmly believe you've got to get the headspace right. So it's, it's about getting like, a, I guess, a, a mindset for success or an attitude. It's a Henry Ford quote. If you think you will win or you think you will lose, you'll be right either way. So yeah. the very, even before we jump into the first, the first step is where am I at? Am I focusing on other staff, family, business, etc.? How do I kind of center myself, get myself in the moment, get myself present? and then get ready to jump into the first step. And the first step after that is first impressions. How do I make the best possible first impression to the customer? And the first thing that you need to do, you need to look, maybe not a million dollars, but you need to look like a professional, okay? And one of our first things is, is that you check how you look before you leave home. Because if you check how you look and you're already out on site, you've defeated the whole purpose. You can't go and change how you look. You can change your shirt. Perhaps you need to go and comb your hair, maybe you need to put on a bit of deodorant, whatever the case. I know it sounds kind of silly, but if you check outside of outside of work, you, you're not going to be able to go and change those outcomes. Uh, customers judge us on our appearance, so we need to definitely look the part. Then also, too, in first impressions, one of the most important things is call an approach to the job. If we call an approach to the job and we give the customer time to prepare for us, they might be busy, they might be running kids to school, they might be expecting other tradies to turn up. They might actually be even doing something completely different. But if you knock on the door and just surprise them, I'd suggest that people book jobs in two-hour windows, say, for example, between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And if you're getting close towards the back end of that time slot and people aren't prepared for you, then all of a sudden you've kind of rattled them and it really starts off as a bad first experience. Yeah, I, I think it makes perfect sense to, to set the stage. It's almost like setting expectations before you even begin. One, obviously, hey, I'm going to arrive. I'm going to tell you when I'm going to arrive. I'm in this window. Now I'm going to give you a more finite, hey, I'm here within the next 30 minutes. And then when they see you, then they see you presented well. It frames everything up at that this person knows what they're doing. I can feel confident because they're a professional. And it actually future-proofs if any issues do arise later on. In the back of their head, they're thinking, well, this guy's the professional. I'm glad that I'm working with someone in safe hands because who knows how it would have gone with someone who isn't a professional. There's definitely a correlation between how you carry yourself and how they perceive you will do the work. So if you are turning up late, you look like crap, straight away the trust is just dropped through the floor. And when you do call an approach, I think another good thing too is when you actually call and the first impression they get, apart from the fact that you're being proactive, they might like the sound of your voice or they might, and sometimes people people are judgmental, they might not like what you look like, but if, if they like the sound of your voice and the fact that you're courteous enough and you're thinking about them, that shows you're coming from a place of service, not a place of being a, a rough tradie, so to say. Yeah, yeah. And I think in your particular space, training tradies to stand out is key because a lot of people don't do it. It's the same with any industry, really. You don't need to always be miles ahead. If you're just a little bit ahead of the competition, you're actually way out in front. So I know then we kind of move to this second stage of of gathering information. Dave, can I just add a little bit to what you said there? Because I think what you touched on is brilliant. Let's say it's the Melbourne Cup and you've got two horses. The first one wins by a nose. It's like a matter of millimetres. 
I don't know exactly the, the prize money for the Melbourne Cup, but let's say it's three and a half million dollars. That horse wins three and a half. Number two might win 800,000. That little bit of millimetres is worth so much more in the Melbourne Cup, but also in your business as well. I think it's a great point you're raising. Only oftentimes it's the small things. It's accumulation of all of these small things, the seven steps added up together that creates the magic. It's not necessarily any little one on its own in isolation. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's the 1% plus 1% plus or times 1% becomes a compounded outcome. Yeah. So um, number two is gathering information. Our job is to listen to the customer. We need to understand their needs and their wants, but also to their fears. Is there, have they got a concern? Have they had a, a past experience with a tradesman that hasn't been pleasant? Is that bringing up some resistance? You need to understand that even when your customers aren't talking to you, they're communicating. So I, I really, in our training, we talk about a lot about understanding body language. In fact, I think it's like 55% of communication comes from body language. Tonality is about 38% and words are only seven. A study done by Albert Mabraham. And when you're in that gathering information stage, you need to kind of drop all of your filters and everything else and kind of really be present, pick up what the customer's saying to you, store it, even write notes, store it mentally. When you're presenting your, your options at a later stage, you're basically able to feed back and loop back what the customer has said to you. So you know, oh, wow, this guy's listening to me. This guy cares. This guy has empathy for my situation as well. But is there a particular framework or Absolutely. way that you like to think about it? We use business-focused questions and we also use well or, or problem-focused questions. They kind of fall in the same uh, category. But also, too, we use rapport-building questions to start with. And then we, like, we have a turning point where we go from where it's very much building rapport back into the problem and the focus, the focus on the issue itself. But we have to be a human first before we become a plumber and a, technic, a technician where we fix stuff. So we, we wrap them up with being a rapport building or trust building questions about the personal questions as opposed to problem or business focused questions as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Then I'm just thinking with those, those questions, I don't know if you've got with rapport building, even just an example or two, like is are we talking just as simple as how's your day been, keeping an eye out, oh, there's toys around there, you've got kids, that type of thing? I, I love, when I walk into a customer's house, one of the first things I do, without sounding, you want it to be natural. You don't want to be cheesy. You don't want to be cliched. But there's a reason people put stuff, souvenirs, keepsakes, etc., around there because they're proud of them. It's also, too, has an emotional connection to maybe they went to I'm making something up on the fly. They went to the Bali and they had a really great family holiday and there'll be something on the wall. And, and you just kind of take in your surroundings, look around what's there, and so you just make simple compliments about stuff that you genuinely like that's in the property. It's there for a reason. Customers have put, or homeowners have put this stuff on the walls and, and, and on display because they're proud of it and they like it as well. So that, that's as, it's as easy as it can be to, to start to build rapport. Questions around the problem and the issue could be, let's say I'm working on a set of taps and it's in the kitchen. And obviously, the taps are, let's say the house is a 1970s build. The taps are old. I look around. The house hasn't been renovated. It's only common sense once you know. But as a plumber, what tends to happen, especially when you're new in your profession, you might just say, I'm here to fix this one thing and then I'm out. Whereas a professional would say, well, if these taps are broken and the question I would ask is, has the house ever been renovated? All the taps in the house the same age? 
And then that leads me to go and say, well, how about I look at the bathrooms? How about I look at the ensuite? How about I look at the laundry? Again, proving that I'm proactive and uh, thinking outside the box and a real professional in what I do. Yeah, that makes sense. Then you've got moving to that next stage, this idea of building up the options sheet. So I suppose that that gathering information really helps you to prepare for this. Absolutely. If you walk into any job and you say, there's two things in a situation. When a customer, what happens as a, a, especially again, I wouldn't even say for plumber, human beings look through the world through their filters. So I look through the world through my values, my judgments, the amount of money I have in my bank account, the amount of how old I am. And sometimes that is really disconnected from your customer, especially with younger trainees coming through. So what they tend to do, they may minimize what could be done or what the customer may want through their filters of the world, not through the customers. So if you've got a 25-year-old plumber coming through and you have a 50-something-year-old customer, they're going to be looking at their home and money and options and stuff, things to be repaired or replaced in two totally different ways. Mm. So it's really important that you document as a professional everything that needs to be done put down options for the client and two things happen here. First of all, the customer goes, wow, this guy's professional again. He's offered me heaps of different solutions and heaps of different options. And also too, the business and and the actual company are able to make more money because there's options and they might not just buy one thing, they might buy two, three, four, five things as well. So it's really important to kind of drop our filters, stand in the shoes of our customer, see how they're seeing it and then present the options. And then that ties in perfectly well to your previous step where you were talking about gathering information and to continue with the idea of the tap situation, like those three options of the, you know, a good option, a better option or a best option. Do you want me to just address this tap, but I'll make you aware that there are probably going to be issues very shortly down the line with the other ones because they've all similar timing. Or do you want me to address all the taps? Yeah, absolutely. If you don't, you don't have a, a good, better, best kind of scenario, uh, again, you don't want to mind read what your customer's position is. You don't know what they're doing in the future. And if you go in with a single solution for one single problem, it's going to be a yes or no conversation. But if you put a good, better, best, it just opens up, again, choice for the customer and more opportunity for you as a business owner. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Oftentimes as well with good, better, best, it does steer some people. Sometimes, you know, there are going to be your price shoppers who'll just go, okay, whatever the good is or, you know, I just want that. There are always going to be the premium buyers, as you said. Absolutely. And then some people as well, they'll, they'll kind of go the happy medium where they might have gone good, they'll go for better because now they're comparing it against best. Absolutely. Yeah. So it kind of helps to draw them up as well and gets it rid of, I find a lot of the time, the discussion and issue around price because sometimes people will try and negotiate and if you're like, okay, well, if, if you want it cheaper, let's go for the good option. You know, you're obviously going to, for better and best, you're going to be charging more. So it's more, less of a discussion of let's just, change the price because you nicely asked, but rather, okay, well, if we're going to change the price, we're going to take something out of the package. Exactly right. And and that that applies to sales across every single industry. I did a lot of work uh, for many years with the the Brian Tracy group and that still that sales core concepts I learned through Brian Tracy actually travels across to tradies, et cetera. Have to tweak them and massage them a little bit in certain circumstances to fit the trading market. If you're not doing that, 
you're basically just taking profit out of your pocket. If you're taking money off the actual sale price, it's got to come from somewhere. So basically, you're you're robbing yourself of profit. So if you have the options, again, you're basically providing good solution for your customer as well as also to making sure you stay profitable and you're in business for you have a happy and successful business. Into the the presenting of that options sheet, do you have some suggestions? I know you've got that. Absolutely. Step four: how to how to, pre- how to present your options. So we often similar to your Coles or your Woolies, you have your flybys cards. I, and it's funny, I was, I was having sushi with my family the other night and I'm in a sushi shop and it has become a member. And I think it's a great way, as Alan did, who you interview at some point, I'm sure you may have already done, you want to basically have your database there, okay? So having a membership, having a loyalty card, having some sort of way to basically have to build your database, but also to offer them incentives, make them feel special, make them feel valued, Okay. That is really, really important. So I'd definitely be getting, if, you, if you're the one answering the phone, you talk about it at least, drop a seed about it when you first, the first job, when the job first originally comes in over the phone. When are you going to present the options? You go, if you, uh, you become a member, we can give you better pricing. And also too, with any supply and demand, it's quite simple. The more you buy from me, the better the price I can do. So I'm always incentivizing the second and third and fourth option inside my when I provide the options. So simple supply and demand, you buy more, I can do a better price for you. It's an interesting one to think of, particularly in the trade space. I would love to know, like, let's say using the example of the plumber, it's not something that I imagine people intuitively think, hey, I'm going to become a member of this particular group with this plumber. How do you phrase that or how, yeah, how would that work? Yeah, well, I learned this from um, some trainers that came over from the States many years ago. And basically what they, what we would do is offer a free annual inspection at completely no charge. We Basically what you do when you go check all the plumbing, some of the larger companies have plumbing, electrical and air conditioning. So that, that gives them a lot more, I guess, opportunities to go yeah. and check other things. If you're just a plumber or just an electrician or just a single trade, you can go back in 12 months and at no, no cost to the customer whatsoever, go back and do a courtesy inspection of all their plumbing, okay? Also, too, what you say is if you do have an emergency, um, we can jump the queue in the case of emergencies. And also, too, you'll always get better pricing, whether it be 5%, 10% off whatever the recommended retail is because, you remember, you always get that preferred pricing tier. And also, too, one other thing, you can transfer it depending. I mean, everyone, everyone has a different way of doing it. The guys, the guys that we teach... They'll make it their own. They'll tailor it to the way that they like to do it. I really encourage that because you don't want everyone to be the same. So some guys will say, well, if you have multiple properties, if you're a landlord, you might want to go and extend this membership across to your other properties as well. So then it becomes super attractive. And is that something that like, is, are we talking a sold membership? Yes. Or? Uh, my, my advice from what we've personally done and also to when I've trained guys and coached guys, some companies have one year, three year, and five year. I firmly believe it's probably better, and, and this is my personal choice. Other people may disagree. They've been using this system for a while. I prefer to have a $99 one-off lifetime membership. That way, from, especially from a business owner's point of view, you've got a member for life. If someone doesn't use it in 12 months, they might say, well, I don't want to renew it next time. I didn't use it last year, and therefore... You haven't got as much reason to go and talk to them and communicate with them and offer that free inspection. So I'm much more of a fan of saying it's a $99 fee and that's forever. 
Yeah, and it makes perfect sense because the whole purpose of the inspection is to go be of service and see how else you can help them. So it's it's a win, and like you said, it, you always need a reason to have a discussion with someone. Sometimes, you know, if you just start talking, trying to sell your wares, it'll fall on deaf ears. But if you can phrase it around a reason or an event or something they've previously signed up to or agreed to, it makes it much easier. By them signing up to their membership, they're also effectively saying, I agree for you now to come and do an annual inspection. Absolutely. It's so important, even though this is around the seven steps to, to what we would call a COD, so when you turn up to someone's house, similar in the concept of prospecting when you're going out for account clients, you want to have a valid reason that is not interrupting their life, that's actually adding value to them to pick up the phone and call them and say hi. So if you're just calling to say hi and you're not adding value to the customer in that conversation, it's an interruption, not a warranted reason for you to come and visit or a warranted reason for you to pick up the phone. So when you have that membership and it's top, and they're due for the annual inspection, that's also great from the business owner's point of view because if they have a downturn and they're quiet, you can bring the inspection for three months. Yep. And it's 100% valid, it's warranted, it's valued for both parties. You get back in front of a customer that's bought from you in the past that knows you, likes you and trusts you and you're in a great position to be able to continue that relationship. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Now that next step around handling objections because at this point you've basically presented what those options are and then, then this is when we get into the negotiation or the discussion what are some tips around this stage look, look there's there's a million and one scripts and techniques and strategies around overcoming objections first thing i love to say is objections are a good sign it means people are interested in what you're selling interested in what you're actually talking about and then also, too, the first thing I would say, well, actually, before I even give you a couple of little lines to say, whenever someone objects, what we naturally do when we don't have any sales skills or communication skills, in essence, that's what sales is. It's communicating, making sure you're listening to the customer, addressing their concerns, replying back to that. As soon as you defend or justify your position, it actually starts an argument, right? So it, it, it's... As soon as someone goes, oh, how can you charge that much? And you go, oh, because it costs this much. And then all of a sudden that escalates into, even though it won't be a full-on argument, it's still an argument and it's still not, it's still not leading towards a, a productive sale or a productive transaction between two parties. So the first one, simple. Again, one I learned from Brian Tracy is, why do you feel that way? Right? It's, it's so simple, right? It, it's a typical scenario. Someone might say, Look, it costs too much. You go, oh, why do you feel that way? And some, and 90 percent of the time, I've heard people say, "I just thought it'd be cheaper." And then you go, "Well, I thought it'd be cheaper too." But we've worked out our figures. We basically sit down every six months. We work out all our overheads. We work all our costs. We put a little margin in there for profit. And then we, this is the prices we've come up with. We're fair. We're market rate. And that way, they go, "Well, fair enough. All right, do I have to sign something?" And it, it, it's as simple as that. My second one is. Very similar, why do you say that? So the first one's why do you feel that way? The second one is why do you say that? Very similar in, in the response that you receive. And the final one is compared to what? So simple, three little, they're only about four or five words each and they're simpler. We've got other scripts that are like probably 50, 60 words, but I always start with the basics. The basics are your building blocks. Once you've got those three down pat and you, you're in a selling situation or a, or a customer interaction situation and you can remember them, then you can 
graduate to the more difficult ones and the more detailed objections of scripts. And on the scenario and situation, like if it's an emergency trade situation, obviously someone's there and they need to stop the burst water main right now and it's it's less of a concern. Sometimes if it's a bigger job and we're talking about, you know, yes. redoing a house and renovation and a whole bunch of things, then there might be more discussion. Um, wanted to address, I suppose, two particular objections. The first one is that one that comes up and, and people often talk about that analogy of or that story of the engine worker and, you know, the, the ship stopped working and he goes down and pulls out a little hammer and bangs it and everything comes back to life. And then he yeah. writes out his, his bill and then the, the captain says, I'd like the itemized bill. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was the classic line of $50 for time, yeah. $300 for knowing where to hit. Um, yeah, absolutely. How do you phrase that, let's say, almost like in the real world or... Yeah. If someone's asking about the price or wanting to dig into more, is that something that you suggest people break down and address the components or do you stay at the high level? Or Yeah, I feel very passionate about this. It's actually funny how tradies are the number one guys that tend to cop this all the time. We don't ask, you go, you go and buy a, a steak sandwich at, a, at your local cafe and you go, oh, how much are you paying the chef? How much did the meat cost you? I could have cooked the meat at home cheaper. Yes, you could have, but you're in a restaurant and then the same applies what tends to happen and there's a lot of guys out there and one of my missions is to, to basically help as many tradies i'd love to get to every single trade in australia and get them to understand their true labor rate i'll tell you a little bit of a story so last year there was some stuff going on radio in sydney and basically what was happening a plumbing company was getting hassled for how much they were charging I don't defend the company. I don't know the company whatsoever. But one of the things I heard the radio presenter say was another company charged X and it was a lower price and another company charged Y and it was a higher price. And the radio presenter said, this lower price, such a good bloke, such a top guy. And it really annoyed me because just because he was cheaper, he was viewed as, as a better provider. So what I did, we have a spreadsheet. It's a labor rate calculator. It has all your fixed cost of your business. It also has another page which has your highest labour rate you pay yourself or your, or your plumber. And then it has a few formulas that works out your capacity. So you, you have 7.6 hours in a day. But effectively, a maintenance plumbing business in Sydney would probably, in most of Australia, would be somewhere between four to five hours a day. And what I worked out, which is absolutely gobsmacking, terrifying, because 90% of the guys out there don't know, a plumber with an apprentice in Sydney and we got quotes from leasing companies, we got quotes from uh, leasing companies for the vehicle and the camera and the jet all the tools they use, is somewhere in the vicinity of $200 to $250 an hour for the productive hours. That equates to about $1,000 a day in labour is what they, need to, what they need to build to make profit. And what trades don't know and the, the public don't know, and the, the, I would say 80% of the actual trades population are still not aware, and I wasn't when I started. That's what caused me my trouble that I had to go and sell my family home. Wasn't aware of my overhead costs. And I'd be more than happy to break down prices for people, but what I would do, I'd break it down into, this is how much the labor component was, this is how much the material component was, and this is how much my overhead component was. I wouldn't break it any, so it'd be three numbers, and that's as far as I would go. Because the actual hidden cost, the money that's actually behind the scenes, not only for tradies, for all businesses, your insurances, you've got tolls, you've got fuel, you've got so many costs that are behind the scenes that no one even remembers. And sometimes, even when I first started 
moving from what we call an hourly rate to a flat rate system, it terrified me because I went, wow, that looks like a lot of money. But when you do the scientific approach, not an emotional approach, and you work out the price, you go, that's what I need to charge to be in business. And it became, it was almost like a, a massive pressure release because then I went, wow, that's what it is. It's no longer me uh, thinking about a price. It's what the spreadsheet scientific mathematical way was to work it out. So to answer your question, happy to break down a price, but I need to break it down into labor, overhead, and material. I found that in the video production business as well, when you break it down, it's better to do it in groups, but not go too granular because then what people end up doing is they then start trying to negotiate on a line item. Oh, okay, well, I don't need that one. Or, you know, like you said, you know, I've got a mate who can, you know, buy some of those fittings extra cheap. And then you kind of get into that negotiation space, which is not a good space for anyone. And then oftentimes the tradesperson, if they do head down that route, they start to compromise what the outcome is for the client. You know, if they're using materials that they've purchased from Bunnings and they're trying to fit a a light that appears to be half the price, but then they realize it's not rated to go in the shower in a wet area and that they don't make those logical jumps. So yeah, you have to be careful. I think staying at that high level with those top three is, is great advice. I personally, well, when I coach or train our trades, if that's your market that you're dealing with, what do you need to do to get better marketing? How do you need to improve your service? Definitely charge the right amount of money, but deliver a Rolls-Royce service. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's crucial. And then it moves to that, that at this point, you know, you've set everything up quite well. You've, you've made sure your first impressions were solid. You've gathered the right info. You've built your options sheet. You've presented that. You've started to handle some of the objections. And then we move to this idea of closing the sale. Can you tell us a bit about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, it, it's funny. A lot of guys get really stuck at this point. And it's kind, of where, it's kind of where the rubber hits the road. This is where you either have a business transaction or you don't. And the one thing that Australia, oh, it doesn't matter, worldwide, no one wants to be sold to. Okay, everyone loves to buy stuff. You only have to look at Australia's credit card debt to work out how much people like to buy stuff. So rather than try to close and kind of almost like in a I win, you lose kind of scenario, which I hate, you've always, I'm I'm kind of jumping to the final point here about win-win. Invite to buy rather than try to close a sale, open a relationship. This could be the first sale of many, many sales to come over the years. You don't know who they know. You don't know how many properties they've got. This is definitely the beginning of a new. It is the beginning of a new beginning. So invite to buy, and also think of this as opening a relationship is the way that I like to think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the way that that is done is there any particular phrasing or anything? I mean, at that point you've handled sure. the objections. What is that final thing? Is it a case of? How did you want to pay? When do you yeah. want to get started? What? How do you kind of... Uh, yeah, if everything makes sense to you so far, all I need is a signature here. I always strongly recommend no verbal quotes ever, no matter what. It just leads to miscommunication. So if everything makes sense so far, I just need your signature here to get started. If, if there's still a little bit of negotiation and someone's asking for something, well, if I could, if I could do that, would you proceed straight away? And they go, yep bang, then you, you, you get a signature to move on. That's pretty much the two simplest ones. Any more than that, it gets a little bit more detailed. And Sometimes you don't want to overcomplicate anyway. I, oftentimes with 
systems and frameworks. You, you start with an approach that works in as many different scenarios as possible and then you kind of learn the nuances as you go. So then obviously we move into the delivery of the product or service and then making sure that you do that to a world-class standard. I mean, that's a whole discussion in itself and probably a separate system around the way that yeah you you deliver that to a great standard and it'll vary heavily. I, I often find that um, when we're working with different companies, the area that varies the most, a lot of the other things remain very similar like sales, marketing, HR, finance, management. Oftentimes, a lot of the systems and approaches, you can almost transfer from one business to the next. Operations, usually there's the most variation. So keeping that one aside, I think if we then move to okay, we've successfully delivered the product or service. Um, That kind of takes us to this final step around, you know, feedback, testimonials, referrals. Tell us sort of, yeah, how to set us up for success. The first thing is we're always looking for continual improvement. If you're serious about your business and you you want to grow, if you kind of rest on your laurels, your competition overtakes you, you become stale. So if you don't get feedback and you don't know what you've done well and you don't know what you've done badly, how can you possibly improve? So I encourage feedback. And one of the things that I really makes me, well, not cringe, but I, I just don't like is, let's say you go to a, um, a Telstra store and you buy a phone and it's not a bad intera- interaction and the guy or the girl behind the counter goes, do you want to get a phone call in about five days? Can you give me a, a 10 out of 10? As soon as you do that, and most people go, yeah, you're nice, that's fine, I'll give you a 10 out of 10 but then they lose the opportunity of constructive feedback. So basically what I guess the key thing is here is actually go and seek out where you could be better. So find out what could I do better? If I'm an 8 out of 10, how do I become a 10? Is it my introduction? Is it in my clothes? Is it in the middle of my presentation? Also, too, if you do get, like, if they go through it and they give you some constructive feedback and 99% of it's fantastic and you get a five-star review on Facebook or Google or whatever the case may be, Straight away, I would be asking politely, confidently, do you have any friends or family you'd like to, uh, sorry, that you would be able, not like to refer me to, not not many people want to refer you, that's why you have to ask for it, because it it is a a bit of a, it uses up a bit of their time, but if you've blown them with an amazing world-class service and a world-class customer experience, you're completely entitled to ask for a referral. Marketing is so expensive. Marketing and your wages are going to be your two highest costs. So if you can go and deliver an amazing world-class experience by following these seven steps, you're going to cut your marketing costs because then you're, you're going to get referrals. But don't just expect the referral to come through. You've got to be brave enough if, if you're a bit feared, feared of rejection to ask for the referral as well. It's huge. They struggle to get over that hurdle of asking, sometimes it's a really good idea to seed the idea early as well. Like there's, yes. you can, in that, you know, gathering information or building the options sheet type phase, you can seed the idea that, look, the way that, you know, we work and, you know, most of my business comes from referral business. Oftentimes that's also a great way, even right at the start to seed, how did you hear about us? Yes. Did you find us online or did someone refer you? And yep. that, and then that's a great way to then lead in. We actually find we get a lot of referrals. It's kind of part of the way that we do business because we just find we get our best clients that way. In fact, at the end of this process, 
I'm going to ask you, if, if we smash this out of the park and deliver for you, I'm going to ask you for some recommendations that, of, of people you can refer. And that helps to soften the blow for someone, especially if they feel a little bit tentative about asking, because now you've yeah. kind of told them up front, you've made that first move and the onus is then back on you to deliver. And then when you're asking for that feedback, oh, well, I delivered and I told you I was going to ask for the referral. So it's not too much of a shock. Dave, I couldn't agree more. We use, uh, I've studied NLP for, for many years and, and the, the way, when you say seeding, we call it pre-framing in NLP world. Anything's possible when you seed or pre-frame. And I, I must admit, I've never done what you've said and we're going to edit the seven steps for the next training course and I'm going to put that in and credit you. But I use pre-framing in other areas in the seven steps, but that one is brilliant and uh, I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I think what I love about this whole approach is it's just, very simple, very clear. I mean, this process fits on one page. I'm going to make sure that I, um, you know, we'll, we'll link to it underneath this session. Um, in the tail end, I don't know if there are any other final points that you want to pop on or, or we can kind of talk about the best way for people to find out more about your work. Yeah, sure. Look, uh, first of all, sales has got a, a bad reputation and I think uh, th th there's a thing we do inside the training and it's, it's a reframe on what, what sales is. Sales to me is helping my, my clients and, and helping my customers solve their problems, okay? What happens is they get their problem solved, I make money out of it in a nice ethical, moral way. So it, it's really crucial that we're always looking for a win-win outcome. When sales is done badly and why sales has a bad reputation, it's the old school, maybe it's the 1980s or the Wolf of Wall Street kind of scenario where it's, I win, you lose. That is completely not what we train. It's ethical, it's moral, it's above board, it's on the table, it's completely sustainable. Also, too, one of my biggest, I guess, passions is know your worth. There's a lot of tradies in Australia that work very, very hard. They are the backbone of Australia. I'll be, I'll, I'm obviously unbiased. I feel that it would be a, a very dark and crappy place if there was no plumbers and electricians. That's my bad dad joke. But know your worth. Don't do stuff for free, okay? Add value by all means. Put something into an offer for free once you've won a large job. But don't undercharge. Don't do it for free. The way that you can help somebody is not by, do by doing it for free. It's by turning up on time, being a great communicator, cleaning up after you're done, making sure you follow up, offering lifetime labor warranties, and that can be a bit tricky for me to talk about today, but we can talk about it at, at a later date. But offer an amazing service. That's the way that you can give extra to your clients, not by doing it for free. Mm. So, and finally... To check us out, our website's Transformation, mate. And, uh, yeah, look, yeah, we do a lot of videos on, on Facebook and yeah, a whole bunch of different stuff. I'll make sure we put all the links underneath the session so people can find out more. And I wanted to stress because it's very common in the trade space, but in all businesses, particularly when someone starts out, um, that underpricing is, is so common because what they end up doing is they make up for, you know, trying to be this price competitive thing by just tipping more of their own hours in. Yes. Ends up meaning that it's harder for them to grow because they can never really find someone to work their effective hourly rate because when they yes. calculate it out and they're tipping in the hours, you know, they're working for 20 bucks an hour, but they're not going to find someone who'll do that job, which now means they are stuck in that job and position forever. You really want to do the numbers and go, 
how much does it cost for me to deliver this product or service if I wasn't the person delivering it and Absolutely. still having the profit left after? Maybe that's something else we can provide for you too is our labor rate calculator. All that money you make, if, let's say your, your break-even price is $110 an hour and let's say you're charging $140, that last $30 there, that goes straight to your bank account for other things. Could be staff, could be trucks, could be marketing, could be something else. If you're just selling enough just to break even, you don't get nowhere and it just becomes a vicious cycle. So, yeah, charge what you're worth. I appreciate your work because this is, you know, a, a um, definitely a message that needs to be heard by all business owners, very specifically tradies as well. So I'll put all the links. Big thank you for sharing your system. Very much appreciated. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks very much, Dave. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.